This is the Heartland Daily Podcast. Welcome to the Heartland Institute's Daily Podcast. I'm Sterling Burnett, Director of the Arthur B. Robinson Center on Climate and Environmental Policy and Managing Editor of Environment and Climate News. Natural gas usage and appliances have been very much in the news this week, with the Biden administration's Consumer Product Safety Commission floating the idea of banning the use of natural gas stoves, and New York Governor Kathy Hochul piling on by proposing to ban new natural gas furnaces in buildings in the state. So if you've got a business uh, or a home, no more natural gas. So uh, no new restaurants with celebrity chefs because they always cook on natural gas. Even before that, the U.S. Department of Energy had proposed regulations to ban the continued sale of the most popular and least expensive types of natural gas furnaces. With this onslaught of proposals affecting, uh, which would sharply limit average people's freedom of choice, cost them money, and likely leave them lacking power and the ability to cook uh, and heat during power outages, I'm pleased to have as a guest today Stuart Salters, Vice President of Government Relations with the American Public Gas Association. He's here to discuss these issues. Stuart, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me, Sterling. So before we jump into recent proposals to ban various natural gas-fueled appliances, for our listeners who may not be familiar with you, please tell us a little bit about your background and how you came to work for the natural gas industry. Yes, happy to. Um, I'll give the the short and sweet. So uh, like Sterling mentioned, my current role is Vice President of Government Relations for the American Public Gas Association. Uh, Prior to that, I worked for the American Petroleum Institute, um, in more of a policy role, uh, working with their members on uh, transmission pipeline policy, so the big pipelines that travel across the country carrying our energy. And then um, I'm a little unique in that I actually uh, have a degree in engineering and worked as an engineer for a um, for Chevron. Uh, I was at a refinery doing engineering stuff for about five years and then um, had the opportunity to work in the upstream side of the business. So doing drilling and production for Chevron in uh, Western PA and Eastern Ohio. So I like to think I took some of that practical knowledge and now um, uh, whether they want to hear me or not, try to try to tell the folks in DC uh, what they're saying sometimes just doesn't work (laughs) practically. Doesn't make sense. You're not a woolly headed academic Drawing things up in models, you have some experience in the field. Yeah, yeah. But I will say um, I really like where I am now. I'm working for APGA, um, I represent the public utilities that um, are around the country. We have members in 38 states. So not all states have a public utility, but most of them do. Um, and, and basically these are those entities that are a segment of city government or segment of government um, at the local level, uh, they don't have investors. They're, you know, quote, investors are the people that live in the town and pay the rates. Um, they don't have a CEO or a board of directors. Uh, their, their CEO is the mayor a lot of times, and their board is the city council or if there is a utility board. So, so it really is um, a very like kitchen table issue, especially when it comes to some of the topics we'll talk about today in terms of 
our members being impacted and the customers they served being impacted by uh, these policies we're seeing coming out of D.C. Well, I mean, they're charged, uh, at least uh, the public utilities that I'm familiar with, they're Mm -hmm. charged with making sure uh, the customers under the uh, you know affected by that utility who 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 purchase energy from that utility mm-hmm. with ensuring <laughs> uh, the energy's reliability. Yep. Um, you know, the, with ensuring as much as possible that it is it is um, inexpensive so that all people within that uh, city municipality, whatever, uh, can afford it, uh, they have a public charge. And so if they're concerned about these natural gas regulations, uh, people should probably take notice because it's not like they're out there profiting from uh, new development of of wind, solar, or uh, substitute, you know, they're not in it for the profit. They are charged with serving the public in their region. Yeah. Absolutely. They are technically non nonprofits. So when, you know, this is going to be a simplistic way, but the way I think about it in my head is the gas utility managers that sound with the mayor or whoever owns the budget for that town and says, hey, we're going to make this much money uh, from our customers this year and we're going to spend this much money. Um, and so it, it's um, if there is any excess, you know, they'll have to figure out what to do with that. A lot of times it's been on like a, a capital project or something, but but it's definitely what comes in the door has to go out the door. And so you're spot on in that there's no incentive for our members to, you know, make a lot of money or, or to look for a lot of, you know, tax incentives from the government um, because it's it's all it's a not for profit um, setup. And and and. You know, our members – oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, indeed, you know, since it's technically city or municipal governments that that, um, control or manage, you know, Mm -hmm. do the budgets for these public utilities, um, they're the ones that, you know, voters go to the polls and if their power prices are going up or their energy is failing, voters go to the polls and replace them. And uh, they can replace the managers of the public utilities. Right. So uh, it's a very near and dear things to their heart. This isn't some kind of esoteric um, academic uh, uh, thing for them when their uh, power supplies are threatened. Yep. No, absolutely. The, the one thing I was going to say is, you know, you mentioned reliability and our members are focused on safety and ensuring that the energy gets to their customers safely safely and inherent in that is the reliability piece and so we like to talk about when you think about an, a, an outage or a blackout that some experienced unfortunately over christmas eve if folks are following the news in the southeast um that doesn't happen in the natural gas space um i think if you're an electric customer you can kind of i think the average is your electric the average electric customer will get one outage per year, um, which is kind of crazy to think about. You just expect that. But from a natural gas standpoint, our pipeline system is resilient. And I think it's like one in 800, you get like an un, you know, an unexpected outage per year, like one in 800 customers. So uh, very much a resilient system. And, and that's what, you know, we take pride in that because it means we're operating safely too. Yeah. So Stuart, 
in what ways are natural gas appliances, because we're here talking not about the pipeline side of it, uh, but the appliance side of it, mm-hmm. in what ways are they superior to electric appliances? And in there, is there evidence that by mandating the use of electric appliances, human health will benefit or climate change be prevented? Yes, uh, good question. And I guess I'll just kick it off, just segue in from that last point about reliability is, is that is a, <laughs> that's a good reason to have a natural gas appliance, right? If you, if your power does go out, you still have the ability to boil water on your uh, range. You still have the ability to cook. You know, there are some facets of gas heat that do require electricity. So that could be, you know, you could be hit or miss there. But if you have um, a fireplace, you know, that has gas logs, then you do have that capability to heat your home. You may not have the function of the blower, but there will still be some heat generated um, by having natural gas. Uh, the other aspect is affordability. Um, when you look at gas, natural gas prices versus electricity prices, um, historically and, and still relatively, uh, natural gas is much, much cheaper. Um, and I guess you, I don't know, I kind of, I can't, I probably shouldn't admit this, but I was thinking about this the other day because some of our members are both gas and electric utilities. So they provide both. And so one of our members was telling me that, you know, electric is always going to be more expensive because what are you generating electricity in a lot of the country? You're generating it with natural gas. So you got to buy the natural gas, which we buy at the same on the same market. Um, but then you got to change that natural gas to electricity. So just given that concept, which, like I said, the member had to give me the light bulb moment. Uh, so given that concept, you're always going to have a cheaper natural gas product than you would electricity product. And so you get reliability, you get affordability. And, and let's not forget that the emissions in our country are down. We've decreased emissions significantly um, a lot of that is because of more use of natural gas. And so um, there's that clean aspect of it that, unfortunately, people these days don't want to attribute to natural gas, but there is a, an aspect of clean and environmentally friendly uh, when folks use more natural gas. Yeah. Well, uh, but, you know, the recent uh, Hochul and uh, the CPSC, Consumer Product Safety Commission, when they talked about banning appliances, they said, oh, but it's, they threaten human health. Now, it's miraculous to me that they just discovered this after 100 years of natural gas use. Um, I haven't heard of the celebrity chefs, because they're around natural gas all the time, that have broken down uh, with health problems. And the claim was asthma, and yet when you burn natural gas, uh, it releases uh, mole- molecules of water vapor. You know, if, if your kid's allergic to uh to water you've got bigger problems than natural gas um see one you know i think a molecule of co2 molecule of carbon dioxide maybe uh a couple other molecules but none of those things have been shown to be factors in causing asthma so how they're making this connection is very unclear to me yes uh us too (laughs) we are equally confused with um the claims they're making and and there's, there's a bit of research that has come out um, that we are definitely looking into and reviewing, um, at least at the outset. We see significant flaws in how they set up their test to, you know, quote, say there's health hazards with cooking with gas. Um, 
But I think you hit the nail on the head. I mean, this <laughs> your gas range that you know, sure, like the burner design may have changed, the 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 metal that's on top, you know, the way that's configured may have changed to allow more heat transfer. But generally speaking, you know, lighting <laughs> lighting the burner when natural gas comes out, or lighting the pilot when natural gas comes out, is a technology that's been around for a long time, probably as long as the CPSC has been around, and all of a sudden. Um, you know, I'm talking to that example specifically, but all of a sudden a commissioner says, oh, it's a health hazard and we need to look into it. It's like, well, why haven't previous CPSCs looked into it? <laughs> and why haven't other people said it's a health hazard? You know, what is, yeah. what is all of a sudden Why haven't up? hundreds of years of studies shown that to be a health mm-hmm. hazard? Why has one study that, that was, I think, funded by the Sierra Club or uh, uh, published by the Sierra Club found this uh, Sierra Club who is dedicated to fighting climate change to the exclusion of protecting every other public health and environmental goal as far as I can tell. Mm-hmm. Um, so you ca- you first came to my attention with your discussion of the Department of Energy rule on furnaces. What would the rule do and how would it impact consumers? Yeah, so you kind of uh, hit a lot of it in the intro, which I appreciate. Um, but basically... When you think about your furnace, there's kind of two ways, there's two kind of technologies, um, condensing and non-condensing. And condensing is more efficient, and they do make natural gas condensing furnaces. Um, Non-condensing is, and and I say efficient just in the sense that, you know, the energy in is energy used, right? So you don't have as much uh, energy loss, uh, generally speaking. So what the... um, Apply, what the DOE has proposed, the Department of Energy has proposed, is that you can only use condensing appliances, and essentially the way it's worded and the way they've kind of set that standard is it's only electric appliances with this condensing technology. And so you've essentially, you know, mandated that only electric furnaces be used by consumers. Um, the key so a couple key points with this is that um, if you look at market data, those that need higher efficiency equipment, so if you're in Minnesota, for instance, it's cold, you run your furnace more than most, you're going to buy a more efficient equipment because it means you're saving money, right? You, you know, like I mentioned earlier, um, the ener- you want most of the energy used, especially if you run the appliance a lot. Um, and so there's already a market shift by consumers to buy more efficient equipment absent what the government is telling us to do. Um, The other factor is now you're telling everybody in Florida (laughs) who only needs a furnace, you know, one month out of the year that they have to buy this whiz-bang, newfangled, efficient furnace, um, and they can only use electricity to power that furnace. And so, you know, a less efficient furnace in Florida it's not going to get you a lot of emissions reduction because they're only running it, you know, one month out of the year. And it, and so, you know, the market's working. Um, it costs a lot. Were, it, it costs a lot more people, you know, the, the government always says, Oh, well it saves money over the long term." Well, that's, right. that's in laboratory studies. I'm sorry, mm-hmm. me switching to led lights and, and CFLs before that didn't save me money when those things break <laughs> and I have to dispose of them properly. Um, 
you know, it, 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 the the idea that the government knows what kind of toilet we should use. Uh, yeah. And so you're going to go to these low-flow toilets because it'll save you money in the long term. Right. Well, unless you have to flush multiple times and repair your toilet multiple times because they don't work as efficiently as the high-flow toilets. The same thing with yeah. dishwashers. I used to have a dishwasher. It took an hour, a single <laughs> hour to wash my dishes. My current dishwasher takes three hours to wash my dishes. Mm-hmm. Oh, but it saves you money and energy. Uh, you know, look, I'm just unconvinced. And if they break more often, which they frequently do, then it doesn't say I, I never recoup the savings because I'm constantly repairing or replacing them. So I just mm-hmm. think the government I've read the Constitution. I don't see where the, it says the government should tell you what you have in your home as far as and whether you should even be concerned about energy use. Mm-hmm. As long as you're willing to pay for the energy use. What does the government have a, have a role in saying, no, you can't use that energy? We're, we're big brother. We know best. The the one thing I'll say too, I mean, just in your example is, you know, with the CFL light bulb, you've got the same light fixture. If you're going from natural gas to electricity, like it's not the same. And so, you know, even if, even if they can prove the appliance is cheaper, that's just one aspect. I mean, you could potentially have to upgrade your electric panel because you're putting a bigger load. You know, you're going to have to maybe do some home renovations because now you've got event that you had for your furnace that you may not need for your uh, heat pump. And so now you got a hole in your roof that you got to do something with. And so it's just, it's not apples to apples comparison um, in some, in how they model some of this uh, right. appliance efficiency. Well, and then what it, you know, but, but for me, what it comes down to is this consumer choice. I should have the choice, right. not government for me, especially since, like I said, I've used these appliances. I've, I've been places where they have electric water heaters. They don't heat as fast. <laughs> they, uh, and and uh, you know I like my gas water heater. It yep. works and it it mm-hmm. it it provides water the way I want it, the heat I want it, with the speed I want it. I can't take yep. five minutes to let my water heat up. <laughs> uh, but in any case, um, so now one commissioner and and to, to be fair, it was just one commissioner, the Consumer Product Safety Commission, that mouthed off as soon as as soon as it hit the airwaves. The Biden administration, it, it, it was like when Congress passed that law about, um, uh, what was it, drug prices or something a few years ago, and and everybody's drug costs went up on Medicare. Yeah. And, I mean, within days, it's like two weeks later, Congress, first time, fastest I've ever seen Congress work, rescinded a law it passed. <laughs> uh, well, this one Consumer Product Safety Commissioner uh, an insider with the Biden administration, he floated the idea of banning gas stoves. Um, the Biden administration was quick to say, no, we have no plans for that. <laughs> He's not speaking for us, but he keeps speaking. Uh, other commissioners have said, no, we, we're not planning that. It would take a long, long time to do it. This, there's no plans. Uh, but he's still talking, and they haven't shut him up or fired him, which tells me, you know, they're saying one thing. We're not planning this. But they're letting him go on talking about the safety and how we've got to control people's health. You know, we've got to watch people's health and these things are unsafe. So, you know, they say it now. They might regulate it later. Uh, and then in New York, Kathy Hochul has proposed ending the use of natural gas furnaces in new buildings. Okay. So, you know, our audience might already have a feeling of what your thought of these proposals are. But what are your thoughts? And like I said, go, go back for a second. Let's talk about are there legitimate health concerns these proposals are responding to? 
Yeah, sorry, I never answered that question to begin with. It was not dodging it. There are not health concerns. I, I think we we are uh, busy in the lab, actually. Uh, head lunch uh, with a gentleman that works for uh, GTI Energy, which is a research partner of ours that does really good research um, on a lot of different aspects of gas utility operations, uh, specifically and also specifically in juice applications like your furnace, your water heater, uh, your ranges. And so they're they're definitely looking at the research that's come out to make sure we haven't missed anything. But it, to date, you know, all the research to date has proven that cooking with gas is completely safe. Uh, you know, I will say, and and a public service announcement for all of your listeners, you you do need to turn on your exhaust fan, right? It's not just there uh, as a luxury item. You know, I know they make them with copper and all that stuff these days, but there's a reason you have an exhaust fan above your range or your cooktop is because you do have exhaust, but the exhaust is not from the combustion of the fuel. It's from the food. And so if you think about some of these spices folks use and and fish or oils and whatever you may use to make delicious food, which I'm from Mississippi. I love butter just as much as the next person. But fried foods a staple of your uh, diet. (laughs) That's right. That's right. It's not a vegetable unless it's fried. Uh, (laughs) But it's. um, But yeah, I mean, you got to turn on your exhaust fan. But once you do that and you get that air out from you know where your face may be and where you could potentially inhale it, then you are safe. Um, And 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 to your point earlier about the commercial kitchens, like. There's evidence there that these chefs who spend a lot more time than your typical home chef over a gas range is not, you know, they're not, there's not an outcry from the restaurant lobby. Actually, the restaurant lobby, the, re- the National Restaurant Association has some really powerful data showing that natural gas is, is the still the preferred oh, yeah. uh, energy for poor professional chefs. I don't I don't uh I don't watch a lot of cooking shows but every every mm-hmm. Halloween I watch a whole month of uh, Halloween baking shows. Yeah. Ain't nobody cooking with electric on any of these cooking shows I can see. A <laughs> lot of gas being burned. And look, when California started this 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 trend, celebrity chefs said, "Well, yeah, I guess we'll just close our restaurants and move them somewhere else because we cook with natural gas." And so it's very interesting that many of these proposals uh, that localities have attempted to do exempt commercial restaurants, yep. exempt very, you know, businesses, industries. So it's basically the wealthy get to keep using gas, but the average people are being told we know best. It's not it's not unhealthy for uh, Wolfgang Puck or uh, uh uh, the guy that shouts all the time, um, <laughs> Gordon Ramsay. It's not unhealthy for them to cook over natural gas, but you, it's unhealthy for. Uh, it's just, it's, it's nonsense. And it seems to me Kathy Holchel's is even worse because she's talking about furnaces. She's not talking about stoves, as far as I can tell. Right, right now, <laughs> that may be coming, uh, but that's not right now. She's talking about furnaces, and she said she admits this is going to cost people more. And mm-hmm. so what we're going to do is we're going to have taxpayers subsidize the poor uh, so they can have all these electric appliances. What she's not telling them, and, and I guess this gets to my next question, is how these proposed gas band appliances are going to impact average consumers, including the poor minorities and those on fixed incomes, uh, because it will affect the electric grid itself. It's going to place more demand on the grid 
even as the grid, because of the policies of people like Hochul and mm. the Biden administration, is becoming less reliable because it's using more and more intermittent energy rather than the natural gas or coal or nuclear. Um, it, rather, they want to pray to the gods of the wind that it keeps blowing or that it that you know the sun god Apollo keeps shining with no clouds in the way or nighttime doesn't come. Um, they want more demand, even as the grid is becoming less reliable. I mean, more and more, you know, the, the, just in the past decade, there have been more outage, uh, power outages, not due to weather, just failures of demand and supply than there were in previous decades, not, not just single decades, multiple decades combined. And it's because it's less reliable, and yet she wants to impose more demand for electricity on a, 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 a grid that's already failing. It's, it seems to me it's pretty scary. What are your thoughts? Yeah, it is very scary. You hit a couple of key points. I'll just uh, foot stomp. The impacts on the low-income um, and you know minority um, populations. I mean, it, it is it is going to be significant because you're talking about charging more for utility bills for these these demographics, and it, you know it it rubs me the wrong way sometimes when this administration comes out and talks about economic justice or environmental justice or or whatever justice when they are outright. And then I guess, you know, the governor of New York, you know, she aligns with the current administration. So I'll put her in that same camp. But 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 they are outright making these people's utility bills go up. And and a large part is because it's less efficient. So so you're taking an appliance out that takes a natural gas molecule uh, from the wellhead where it's where it's drilled and extracted, puts it in a pipeline, sends it to the burner tip where it's combusted and generates heat in your home, that's like 90% of that molecule, uh, the energy in that molecule is used. If you take that same molecule, you put it in a pipeline, you have to convert it to electricity, um, you lose 60% of the energy. So you're talking about 90% versus 30% in terms of energy created or energy in the original molecule and then energy used. Um, and not only are you using the energy in the most efficient inefficient way. If you look at a typical heat pump, you know, it's good. I don't know. I'll give them, a, I'll give them the benefit of the doubt. It's good up until about 40 degrees, right? You're able to use kind of the high efficiency heat pump technology. But once you get down below 40 degrees, like you're using, you know, I call it strip heat. Some people call it radiant heat. Um, it's when you look on your thermostat, if you have electric heat and it says emergency heat. <laughs> so you're using this you know, these basically these strips of metal that, you know, glow um, and the air is blowing across that to warm up your house. And that is incredibly inefficient. So if you're in New York State under the Hochul regime, you are now subject to using that strip heat um, until they come up with a cold climate heat pump, which there is discussion, but you got to, you got to, I got to see it to believe it. Um, well, and, and in hot climates, and in hot climates, right. you got to have somewhere to, to get the cooler air from. Yep. <laughs> right. You, mm -hmm. you can vent all the heat you want, but if it's, if it's 90 degrees inside and 100 degrees outside, there ain't no pumping uh, <laughs> to be done to cool it. So, yep. um, once again, government is uh, creating a solution for a non problem. Uh, yep. but, but I'm sure it'll but, line, the, line the pockets of many people who, uh, 
who donate to their campaigns. Well, and and the thing I'll say too, um, with that inefficient heat is is obviously, and you you alluded to this too, Sterling, is it's more demand on the grid. And so now, not only are you putting more demand on the grid with more electric heat, you're messing up the supply by looking at these intermittent energy sources with wind and solar and and it's you know and going back to the the efficiency part of natural gas um one of the one of our trade association members that um, works in georgia with a bunch of public utilities is always like it makes no sense if natural gas is ever going to be used in a generation capacity because it's you know not to use it in your home right because you're always going to have that you know line losses and and energy losses from generating inner power from natural gas. And so even if it's intermittent, why would you not just use it directly in your home at your furnace, your range, your water heater, whatever? Well, like I said, it's it's government always knows best, but typically what they know best are things that cost uh, mm-hmm. people money uh, and typically the, the poor who they say they're there to serve, you know, environmental justice is all the rage. Um, and, uh, well, in, 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 in Hochul's case, you know, to be fair to her, she says, oh, we know this is going to cost you more. So we're going to subsidize it. We're going to pay you. We're going to give you money and we're going to keep your bill at a certain amount. Now she's guaranteeing that now. First off, it takes legislation to do that. Secondly, she can't guarantee that when times are bad economically, they will keep that law on the books. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, where are the cuts going to come? When your budget falls and you still have to balance a budget, because at the state level, they typically have to balance their budgets. Well, this could be one of those things that, you know, a promise made that is not kept because it'd be real easy to cut that subsidy. I just yeah. – uh, any, anything that you have to subsidize uh, it tells me it's not – there's no market demand for it. What <laughs> There is a political demand for it. So big picture, Stuart. You can make just one point. What's the most important single point you'd like our listeners to take away from our discussion today of proposals to end the use of natural gas appliances in homes and businesses? Yeah, I would encourage uh, folks to speak up. Um, I know I don't know if listeners are, are as apt to engage in public policy, you know, either running for office yourself or, or being willing to um, talk to your you know, state, federal, local officials, but uh, folks need to hear. Um, you know, I, I hate to say it, but I, Sterling, you're right, and that some of this research is funded by uh, groups that don't want any fossil fuels to be used, regardless of any good quality about it. And so we kind of have, kind of have our cards stacked against us. And so as many voices as we can have to tell the positive story about natural gas. Uh, we we encourage you to speak up and and engage. Um, it doesn't have to be anything extensive, you know. Uh, an email to your to a staffer that works for your congressman, or if you go to a town hall, just mentioning to them, hey, I really like cooking with gas. No need to be, you know, argumentative. Just state the good attributes that you appreciate appreciate about natural gas in a in a you know in a positive way. And I think that's going to resonate and, and people, you know, our elected officials, folks need to hear that there is a lot of positive vote, positive use of natural gas because uh, they're definitely hearing it from the other side. 
At the and the, at the state and local level, you know, uh, show up at your public utility commission hearings and 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 say something. Show up yep. at your uh, at your utilities uh, when they're when they're making a case for a rate increase. Show up there and uh, talk about this. Yep, Stuart, it's been a pleasure to have you on. Uh, don't be surprised if I reach out in the future. I want to thank you on behalf of myself and our listeners. No, I appreciate the time and the opportunity to share with your listeners, Sterling. Again. Um, we encourage folks to engage and, and hopefully we can help get some, get some practical policies, uh, at least talked about, um, in the upcoming months and years. Or, or it'd just be good for me if you just, if we just prevented some bad, some impractical policies, <laughs> uh, <laughs> oftentimes the fixes that they have are worse than the problem that they are trying to solve. Um, <laughs> Listeners, thanks for checking in on us today. Please check Heartland's website as we follow the work of Stuart Salters and the American Public Gas Association and as we track the progress of energy and environmental laws and regulations that affect you. In addition, please consider attending Heartland's forthcoming 15th International Conference on Climate Change at the Hilton Lake Buena Vista in Orlando, Florida from Thursday, February 23rd to Saturday, February 25th. There are still tickets and rooms available. Uh, the conference will have panels and presentations from many of the world's top climate and energy experts discussing the latest climate science and the wrong-headed energy and policy solution the world's governments are determined to impose on us all. Also, if you're not receiving these podcasts daily on your favorite device, go to iTunes and subscribe. And when you have the time, please rate our podcast on iTunes so you can help us expand the reach of free market ideas. Thanks. Take care. Bye. Bye.